You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The U.S. intelligence community releases its report on Russian election hacking and influence operations. Election hacking? Not really, but influence operations? You betcha. European authorities worry about Russia inserting itself into 2017 elections. Law and order, torts and Twitter. And a note on she who must not be named. Our listeners in San Diego will know exactly whom we mean. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, January 9th, 2017. The U.S. intelligence community on Friday released its promised report on Russian election hacking. The report had been expected sometime this week, but it was issued soon after the president-elect was briefed on its contents. The work of the CIA, FBI, and NSA. The report, as expected, is longer on conclusions than it is on evidence, evidence usually being more sensitive than conclusions, because it's likelier to reveal sources and methods. These conclusions are that the Russian government sought to influence the U.S. presidential election, with a goal of ensuring that either major candidate would wind up either compromised, indebted, or damaged. The analysis holds that President-elect Trump was the Russians' preferred candidate, although their efforts were for some time premised on the assessment that former Secretary of State Clinton would be the eventual winner. The Senate Select Committee on Intelligence will begin an investigation tomorrow. Initial reactions range from outrage against Russia's activities to skepticism concerning evidence in the analysis. The analysis is brief and worth reading. Two mild surprises. Part of the Russian motivation seems to have been retaliation for embarrassment by the World Anti-Doping Agency, and the UK's GCHQ may have tipped U.S. intelligence off to some Russian activity. Something that's not surprising... RT is basically a Russian government mouthpiece. Lots of people have been shocked, shocked at this, but where have they been? Our staff reads RT with pleasure, but they understand what they're getting. The European Commission and the French government are taking a perceived Russian threat to 2017 elections seriously, looking to shore up defenses. Presumably those defenses will include a counter-narrative to expected influence operations. U.S. officials are mulling their options in this respect as well. We checked in with Robert M. Lee, CEO of the industrial cybersecurity firm Dragos Incorporated, for his reaction to the declassified report. So they intended to understand, did Russia attempt to influence the election? Did this originate from Putin? And what was his motivation, if so? But they said right up front, our intention is not to understand um, if there were manipulations of votes, if it actually resulted in an impact that changed the election, uh, or, or any of those other hot topic items that were, by their very nature, very political. And 
that to me was probably the best thing they could start off with to note that the intelligence community is apolitical. They are not in favor of any party and serve and have served under many parties. So it is just about intelligence assessments itself. The piece that probably gave uh, some folks confusion, I think there was probably two things in there, was the fact that when there was an assessment by the FBI, the NSA, and the CIA, there was a difference in their assessment confidence levels. The CIA and, and FBI came out with a high confidence assessment whereas the NSA came out with a moderate confidence assessment. But there's an important clarification there to understand. Number one, they were talking about the motivation ascribed to the Russian state. There was no difference amongst anybody involved in this in the fact that Russia attempted to influence the election. The, the confidence ratings was around why uh, Putin attempted to do this. Now, the second thing to know about that is the CIA and NSA and FBI obviously focus on very different data sets, where NSA is intercepting communications and CIA would have human contacts um, and be much more close to these type of discussions. But the single most important thing about these difference in confidence levels is when I saw this, that made me very, very excited to see the difference because it showed this independence of thought process between the CIA and NSA, and that there wasn't this uh, you know, political agenda, there wasn't this attempt to try to calm the public. You know, if, if you were writing this report for the purpose of just convincing the public of an argument, you would have a combined front, very, very simply. Um, but the fact that they actually had a rigorous approach to this, exactly like you would expect any other intelligence report, and had an independent and judgment and independent thought, uh, just really made me proud of the intelligence community, actually. Is it unusual to see this kind of uh, unanimous agreement uh, in a joint report like this? Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that there is some interagency rivalry. And for the NSA and CIA to really agree on anything it is pretty outstanding. Um, you know, these are very, very sort of strong-willed groups that arguing with each other. But the competitive nature between the two ensures that the intelligence that gets to the president is as best as it can be. So for them to come out and have the same assessments um, and have a moderate to high level confidence on even things such as motive it is pretty significant. The last thing I would say about the document is um, we will undoubtedly see folks that come out and say, look, this isn't convincing. And to that effect, I would say that you know, the intelligence community really isn't in the business of convincing the American public of anything, um, especially when it comes to this debate, which has been very, very emotional for folks. And I don't know what evidence there would be or what smoking gun there even could be that would actually turn people's minds or change their opinions. Instead, they just held their ground and said, you know what, we're not going to burn a bunch of tradecraft. We're not going to burn a bunch of uh, sensitive sources to try to make an argument to, to potentially an audience that may not you know, really want to listen in any ways because of the political situation. So we're just going to come out and be professionals and make our assessment and sort of take it or leave it. I think it was a very, very appropriate way to handle it. That's Robert M. Lee from Dragos Security. In other news, it's not all Russian cyber attacks. The Baltic News Agency, which reports on Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, sustained a denial-of-service attack late Friday, which, come to think of it, might be a Russian cyber attack after all. Vlad, anything to say? 
The Dragon OK APT group linked to China's PLA is said to be newly active against Tibetan and Russian targets. A couple of bits of legal or quasi-legal news. This guy who says he invented email is suing TechDirt for saying, no, he didn't invent email. The suit may be worth watching, if only because the plaintiff's attorney is the guy who represented Hulk Hogan against Gawker. Finally, we've been following some horrifying IoT Frankensteins. Most disturbingly, the Rhode Island School of Design slaving of Billy the Big Mouth Bass to Amazon's Alexa smart home system. There's more. Mattel has announced Aristotle, a voice-activated hub for a children's smart room. It's based on Microsoft Cognitive Services and secured by Qualcomm and Silk Labs. So far, so good. We just hope Aristotle's peripatetic ways don't take him down the sad path trodden by Tay. It shouldn't. Aristotle ought to be old enough to know better. But there's more, and henceforth we're going to refer to Alexa as she who must not be named, for reasons that will immediately be clear. A San Diego TV news program was covering a cute, kids-do-the-darndest-things human interest story about a little girl who made a wish to she who must not be named, answered to the parents' discomfiture by Amazon's delivery of a Sparkle Mansion dollhouse and one-hundredth of a hackerweight of sugar cookies. The new anchor gushed about the cuteness, saying, I love the little girl, saying, She who must not be named, order me a dollhouse. Sure enough, dollhouses were soon ordered throughout the viewing area. Did we mention that Echo enables Amazon ordering by default? We didn't know that either. So in case She Who Must Not Be Named is listening, this podcast is not ordering Sparkle Mansions, Care Bears, My Little Ponies, or any zombie-themed toys. We're a family show, but come on, there are limits. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the director of analysis for Terbium Labs. Emily, we, we talk about the dark web, you and I, and I'm curious, you know, what is what is law enforcement's relationship to this community? What's what's the expectation for people online that that law enforcement is lurking around or keeping an eye on things? There's definitely an expectation that law enforcement will be around and will be watching. Uh, I think especially when you're dealing with something that's a little bit more high profile, you know, we saw many of the major markets pull uh, weapons 
from their listings after kind of the terrorist attacks last fall, for example, both kind of in reaction to kind of the horrific acts and also wanting to reduce, you know, the likelihood of law enforcement digging into these marketplaces. But yeah, people definitely expect law enforcement to be around. You know, I think especially when you get uh, a really obvious question in a forum, people are quick to spot the Fed, as it were. How much does this change people's behavior, this notion that someone's watching? People are definitely a little bit more sensitive, I think, especially for more seasoned um, users to avoid giving away too much information. I think this is both personal information. You know, you don't want to say too much about yourself or your home life or your location or your occupation. And I think also, you know, when you're dealing with something like, you know, people discussing, uh, you know, where they might have a source of stolen cards or reviewing a drug purchase, you want to make sure that you can avoid giving away too much information that might help law enforcement. You know, so you may, for example, say the stealth was fantastic on this packaging. It took me 20 minutes to find the pills, but I'm not going to go into more detail because law enforcement may be watching. And, and what happens? Are there occasions where, you know, there's a major bust and something something goes down, someone gets busted and the community reacts to that? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think especially when you see stories in the news about someone being caught with an inordinate amount of uh, of drugs or people with, uh, you know, a huge number of credit cards in their possession or, you know, someone who has, you know, 5,500 Social Security numbers at their house in Florida, you know, people are quick to say, well, clearly they were on the dark web. The, the community finds it funny. They like to laugh at it because of the absurdity of someone who clearly wasn't managing things well. There are, of course, also more serious takedowns. Where people are concerned, you know, major busts, kind of big vendors who have retired and then have been outed in kind of uh, an investigation. So it, it's really a cat and mouse game where, uh, you know, uh, you may not even know that uh, law enforcement is, is shutting things down or putting a stop to things. Yeah, and I think, you know, for every... You know, I made the joke earlier, this spot the Fed. For every obvious question that you see, there are also so many people who are working tirelessly behind the scenes, you know, for years on end to to help put an end to some of these, you know, things that do happen on the dark web. Exploitation, for example, you know, the big shutdowns we've seen in the recent years of some of these sites. And the community is equally happy to see those kinds of horrific acts being stopped. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey, 
and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.